Will you go with, go with me to the Lord in prayer first as we begin to this sermon? Almighty God, as we come before you to remember what we have done of you sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to the cross for our sins, like a lamb to be slaughtered. Father, we just want to acknowledge and thank you first for this mighty act of grace upon our life. And Lord, because of this grace that you have given to us, our sins are now on that rugged cross, that old rugged cross. And Father, the blood of Jesus has washed our sins to be like snow, to be as white as snow, Father. That we can stand righteous before you now. We can stand holy in your sight. We have now be able to have a relationship with you, a father-child relationship, a father-son or father-daughter relationship with you. And Lord, we want to thank you for this amazing act of love. That as Jesus submit himself, surrender, and even all the way to the point of death, Lord, this act of love enables us to stand with you to stand before you in holiness. So Father, we acknowledge these good works that you have done. This amazing good work. That Lord, because of your goodness, of grace, we are now your beloved children. We can boldly come before you in confidence and stand before your throne. So as we hear your word, may we Step forth in faith, in boldness, in goodness, in love. We commit this time, this message, this, this service, all into your loving and good hands. That we will know that you are that good God in our life. A good father in our life. A good master and a good saviour in all that is happening in our life. We commit this time into your loving hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Once again, a very good morning and welcome to our Good Friday worship service. To those joining us online and even in Rensu, welcome. Just offer my greetings and thanks to you for joining us this morning. Today I titled my sermon, What's So Good About Good Friday? You know, a lot of times we come and celebrate Good Friday many, many, many times um, as a Christian for many years. And we hear the message, but what's so good about it? Right? For us young people, we always like to say TGIF, right? Thank God it's Friday. And today indeed is Friday. So what's there to thank God for? We celebrate Good Friday with people all around the world, right? Be it Protestants, be it Roman Catholics. We always remember Jesus' death on the cross on Good Friday. But the word good, right, if you think of it in our English term, can be used also in goodbye. Right? We say, after a meal with our friends, after catch-up, we say, goodbye, you know, see you again. But does that mean that we are so happy to wave to them goodbye, like, bye, you know, I'm going to leave you already, you know? Are we happy about it? Obviously, we do not mean that, right? We're not happy to wave them uh, and to leave them, in fact, our family members. In our context of Good Friday, well, the, obviously, the simple answer is called good is because Jesus died for our sins and we look forward to the third day or resurrection Sunday when he rose from the dead. I mean we all know that. You ask the Sunday school children, they will give you this answer as well. 
Right? It's a simple answer. But there's actually more to it than just that. There's more to it than just that. You look at it from the English, uh, English dictionary, Cambridge English dictionary point of view, and you see a very simple definition which means satisfactory, enjoyable, or pleasant. Right? For example, this is a good book. Well, did you have a good time at the party? And it's so good to see you after a long time. Right? Just like now, you know, it's a long time for some. It's so good to see you after such a long time. How about in the point of, from a history perspective? Right? The word good has been used since the 3rd century by the English and the Dutch. And etymologists say that it's likely an alteration of this Germanic word, gudet, which means God with an apostrophe S, or even holy. So maybe other parts of the world, actually other parts of the world, call this day Holy Friday. Right? Some languages, other languages and culture call this day Holy and Great Friday. Or Sorrowful Friday. Or even Long Friday. Right? Maybe the only Long Friday we can think of is Long Weekend. Uh, you know, for those who want an extra public holiday, Long, long Weekend, yay! You know, but Long Friday is also being called by that. So if you look back and bring that context to the word goodbye, Right? Goodbye actually means God be with you. And over time shortened from God to good and be with you to buy, forming goodbye. Actually, it means God be with you. So maybe the next time you say goodbye to someone, you can actually say God be with you and the other person can respond and also with you. Right? So how about the Bible? Right? The Bible, you see, where do we, do we see the word good? In Hebrew, we see the word good as tov. That's the word for good. And we see that in the creation story. right? First day, second day, and God said, it's good, it's good. right? Well, it really means it's pleasant and God is pleased with his creation. He's pleased. Whatever he sees, he's pleased with it. Another word that is found uh, in the Old Testament is found in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. And this is the story of Joseph at the end when he spoke to the brothers. Right? You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Well, Joseph had a tough life. We all read it from scripture. He went through slavery, wrongful imprisonment, separation from his family, betrayal, and all other kinds of unpleasantness. But Joseph was part of God's bigger plan for the benefit of his people or even for the Egyptians then. They benefit because Joseph was obedient to God and he was for the good of the people. So here we see that the word good is also not just used in the creation story, in the meaning of it being pleasant, but also used for it being beneficial for everyone's benefit. Okay, the word good. Then you ask, how about New Testament, right? Old Testament must be fair, cover the New Testament. In Greek, is agathos. Agathos has a deeper meaning, dive a little bit deeper as it means inspired, empowered by God. Or potentially to do good, to do something which profit others. Something similar to the word benefit in the Old Testament. And we see this in the question that was given to Jesus in Luke and Mark. Jesus was asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Well, here in this context of this passage is the rich ruler affirming Jesus that he is not just a capable teacher, 
but that he in essence and in nature is God. Therefore, he is good. Well, scriptures also say that there is no one good except God alone, right? That's what Jesus said. But what does that even mean? What does it mean that we have a good God? Right? Scripture tells us a lot, um, but I grew up with this phrase, right? I'm not sure about you. God is good all the time. And all the time, see, you guys know it as well. We have learned it from young that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. In fact, in our culture today, right, if you use the word um, good on someone or nice even, you know, some, some, somewhat in, uh, exchangeable language, you see that a nice or good person maybe donates to the poor or to the charity. And we usually say, oh, this person is good, nah? honest, helpful, morally good. But if we take such a small and finite definition and we apply it to God's goodness, oh, then we run into immediate problems. Right, such a small, finite definition applied to an infinite God. It will not fit because scripture tells us that God is good. He is light and in Him there is no darkness. Well, what other things that scripture has tell, tell us is that His nature is also good. He cannot contradict who He is because He is a good God. In fact, Psalms 119 tells us and reaffirms this by saying that He is good and all He does is good. He is holy, true, faithful in all His ways. New Testament Romans tells us He wants to make good out of all the situation. Well, James, he tells us not to, He also did not create evil because evil is the opposite of all that is good. And He does not get tempted to sin, nor does He tempt us to sin. He's also good. If you think about it, in the giving of the law to the old, to the Israelites in the Old Testament, it was a good thing actually for them to obey it and therefore they can have a relationship with God. That was what the purpose of the law was. In the New Testament, he says that he will give us good and perfect gift. Wow, amazing, such a good father to give us such things. Well, church, that is who our good God, he, who he was, who He is and who He is to come. Really, He is the same yesterday and for today and forever. Amen? Well, there are just so many good things to say about God. Right? If I tell you stories after stories and tell you, teach you about Scripture, about God's goodness, you have to stay here until next year, Good Friday. Right? Even Easter is not enough for us because that's how good He is. But what do you think is the ultimate act of God's goodness for us? ultimate. Right? If there's only one act, right, it's not just the blessing of good job in our life, although that is really good, or even good finance, or well-behaved children, though that's what we really want, or getting good grades for the younger ones, you know, good career path, or even a long life. Well, that is also good. But to me, the pinnacle and really the top of God's goodness is His perfect plan of our redemption through Jesus Christ. Right? That is why we are here today, to celebrate the fact that He sent Jesus to the cross for us, not for anybody else, for you and me. And because of what Jesus done on the cross, there is eternal forgiveness for our sins. It's not just a short period of time, but eternal forgiveness. And because of His death and the forgiveness of sins, we can have this everlasting relationship. 
everlasting relationship. Let me read to you from Luke chapter 23, verse 44 to 46. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sunlight failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said that, he breathed his last. So the question I want to ask is, what is the curtain of the temple and why was the tearing of the curtain temple significant? It's recorded just before Jesus died. Well, the curtain actually forms this separation, right? It's like a wall between the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. Well, only once a year, the high priest can enter the Holy of Holies to make atonement for Israel's sins. Once a year, right? The PIC got to do more work. So he has to make sacrifice so that he can enter into the Holy of Holies once a year. And this herring of the curtain's temple showcased the power of the cross in Jesus' death and the impact of his death. Because of this herring, we know from Scripture, we can now enter into the Holy of Holies. Well, Hebrews 10, 19-20 tells us that. And so, dear brothers and sisters, that means you and me, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Right? We can now enter the most holy place. When I visited Israel, I saw a replica of the tabernacle. So they tried to make it into the exact measurements and all where the different pieces are placed in Israel. And there was a guide with us, a tour guide, yeah. Tour guy asked this question. How did the priest move a uh, priest as in normal, uh, not the high priest, okay, the normal priest? How did the priest move the ark if they are not allowed to enter the Holy of Holies? Right? And when the priest see the ark when they move the tabernacle? If you think about it, you're going to move house. Then the things in your study room, your table there, you definitely have to see the table if you want to move house. You definitely have to enter the, the room if you want to move house. It doesn't make sense that the priest, only the high priest get to see the ark. So I thought about it. Yeah, quite interesting. Huh? How? Huh? You know? So when I was growing up as a kid, I always thought, oh, Jesus left. Then the, the, all the priests come in and go and pack the table, pack the, the curtain and pack all these things so that they can move, right? The tabernacle needs to move from place to place during a time of exodus. But that wasn't what the, what the guide was trying to explain. What he said was, there was actually a process to take down the tabernacle. It wasn't so simple like packing your house, just label the boxes, you know, put post-its or something like that. I don't know how you pack your house, but everybody has a unique way of packing your house and moving your house. But in those times, the tabernacle, because it's so sacred, there was a process, right? So to pack the curtain, right, the very important curtain, it will be taken down from the, from the holy place and not the holy of holies, will be taken down and the eyes, the priest's eyes will always be fixed onto the curtain. They're not able to like peep through anyway, it's quite difficult. Right? And their eyes will be fixed on the curtain and the curtain will be placed on top of the ark. Therefore, always forming that barrier. Always forming that barrier. So they're not able to enter into the presence of God because the barrier, which is the curtain, is always there, be it whether it's moved or not moved. Right? Not moved is up. When his move is over the Ark of the Covenant. 
with that visual appreciation of what is happening, of the curtain, I had a deeper understanding of what it means when the Bible talks about the the temple curtain being torn in two at the point of Jesus' death. Because at that point, at that point of Jesus' death, it broke that barrier. That once that barrier is broken, we can now enter into the Holy of Holies. We can now have that relationship with God the Father and have that free access. We do not need the high priest in the Old Testament time. But now as children of God, we can have free access to the Holy of Holies, the most holy place as mentioned in Hebrew. Well, the curtain is also a reminder right, that sin is the reason we are unfit to be in the presence of God. As I mentioned, only one day the high priest can enter the Holy of Holies and the priest has a lot of work to do before he can even enter. He needs to do a sin offering, he needs to cleanse himself. There is a long process before the high priest is even fit to enter into the Holy of Holies. Well, if it's not done so correctly, well, the high priest will be struck dead right, when he enters the Holy of Holies. That's how sacred and how important it is. So, back to what Jesus did on the cross was really the ultimate sacrifice for us to be cleansed of our sin. We need not go through such long process, sin, washing, and even the fear of being struck dead when we enter into the Holy of Holies because Jesus did the ultimate act. His death on the cross has allowed us to enter into the holy place so that now we can boldly approach with confidence and boldness. Well, so what does the passage say next? After the curtain was torn in two, Jesus called out with a loud voice and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said that, he breathed his last. Well, we all know that Jesus went to the cross in obedience. He gave his life. He surrendered it. He, he died for each and every one of us. But actually, he died even... He gave his life willingly. He gave his life willingly. Why I say that? Because in John 19, 32-33, the soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. This is part of to fulfill prophecy as mentioned in the text. But why do they need to break the legs of the two thieves, right? That was on the left and on the right of Jesus. What was the reason? I mean, they are already up there already. Now go run away, right? Yeah, you know, there was actually a practical reason. One, they were in need of time. They were time sensitive, right? So therefore, breaking the legs actually speed up the death of the person being crucified, right? Because they are time conscious. So what will the soldiers do? They will use their steel shaft of the short Roman spear to shatter the person's lower leg bones. Well, this will prevent right the person who is crucified from lifting himself up to take a breath. So if you can't lift yourself up to take a breath, you will die of suffocation. Right? So that's to speed up the process of the crucifixion. But the gospel in the gospel of John told us that the two men that were beside Jesus were still alive. Therefore, their legs had to be broken. But for Jesus, he was already dead when the soldiers reached to him. So because they, they, were, they were a bit like unsure, the soldiers were a bit unsure whether Jesus really died, they took the spear and pierced his side. And out of there flowed 
water and blood, thereby confirming his death. That was the reason why they speared him, just to check. Well, so this Jesus' early death, right? You might, might think, you might think, oh, because Jesus weaker, you know, eat the food not so not so good as the two thieves. Therefore, he died earlier, physically weaker. I don't, don't really think so, but some scholars would think that he died. Jesus died faster because he was physically abused and tortured before the crucifixion. Right? He was flogged, he was put on, carried a cross. It's quite physical uh, to do so. So people thought that scholars thought that he might have died uh, because he was being uh, tortured. Well, for me, I, I really feel that in the passage where Jesus gave up his spirit, it was because of love. We have sung it, we, have, we know it, but deep down are we convicted that really he died because of love? He died because of you and me. It was his love that he sacrificed himself and be so willing to give up his spirit for us. I can't, I'm not, my English is not strong. I don't have a great command of English. But this hymn that really speaks to me of his love is one of our Methodist hymns. And can it be? I mean, his, may this hymn's words speak to you of this amazing love of what Jesus has done on the cross. Can I have the song? May we just meditate on the words? Let the love of God just fill us this morning.
Amen. Really, actually, that's the beautiful part of our resp- if we can respond in that manner. Bold, I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. I pray that we have that courage to, and the assurance to boldly approach the throne. Because this throne is not just any throne, not a, a painful throne, not a fearful throne, but a throne that is full of grace, full of mercy, full of love and forgiveness. That is the throne that we should boldly approach. Last Sunday, Pastor Anthony preached on this topic, to eat or not to eat. And he challenged us to respond to the cross in saying, after what he did, as in what Jesus did, there isn't anything I wouldn't do for him. Well, this morning, after knowing that Christ died on the cross for our sins, he was so willing to lay down his life because he loved us so much. Would you also say to the Lord, Lord, after what you did for me, there isn't anything I wouldn't do for you. Well, today there's an opportunity for those who haven't believed in Jesus yet and take him as our Lord and Savior. He's actually opening his arms right now. His arms open to wait for you to reach out to him to step forward in faith and to open your heart to Him. Now this invitation is not just for non-believers and I believe it's for believers too. As I was preparing this message, there are some of us here who, have, who, has, who feels that we are so far away from this throne of grace. We once knew this throne, we were once near it, but because of the years of maybe hurts, or even when you feel that God is not near you, you have slowly stepped further and further away from the throne. And now you stand so far that you feel unworthy, you feel sinful, embarrassed even, or even guilty or condemned to even go back near to the throne. I think today is a time that we can come to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to come back to you. I want to go back to the throne of grace. I want to go back to your feet. I want to run back to you because you are a loving God. So let us pray and go to the Lord in prayer. I just want to pray for those who do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. May today be the day of change for you. May today a day that you will know who He is, that He will speak to you in such a sure and assuring manner. And that you know that Jesus has died on the cross for you. And that the tearing of the curtain, and because of the tearing, you can now have an everlasting relationship with Him. That nothing and no one can separate His love for you. So if you believe that in all your heart, will you join me in this prayer? Father in heaven, thank you for being a good Father, a good God. Many times I know that I have done wrong and am a sinner in your eyes. At this moment, I want to trust Jesus and Jesus alone as the only way for forgiveness, as the only way to have a relationship with you. I believe in my heart, I truly believe that He died on the cross for my sins and He was raised from the dead. So I confess with my heart and my mouth 
that He is my personal Lord and Saviour. And He will be the Saviour for the rest of my life, all the days of my life. So I commit this prayer into your mighty hands in Jesus' name. Amen.